Welcome to episode 72 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. Today we'll talk gear and observing with a guest. I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers. That means we do astronomy just for the fun of it. And this podcast is one way we share the fun with you. And another person who loves astronomy is joining us today. It's our listener, Phil from the UK. How's it going, guys? Pleased to be here. Yeah, thanks for joining us, Phil. It's going to be uh, going to be a lot of fun today. So, uh, yeah, let's uh, let's hop right in. So, Shane, yeah, yeah, for it. yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, pe- people that listen to the podcast know that we, you know, we we ask for feedback, we ask for questions, and we really enjoy uh, that type of interaction. Um, you know, something else we've sort of talked about is amateur astronomy is a bit of a community, and you know, this is a uh, you know kind of one cog in that wheel. Um, So since we've kicked this podcast off in April, we've received a lot of uh, feedback and we really, really love it. We love the suggestions. Uh, Mm -hmm. We love the experiences that people share with us, like their uh, experiences at the telescope or just, you know, whatever type of observing they're doing. We love that. Um, But um, I'm quite sure I'd have to double check our, our, our email records, but I think Phil was the very first to actually send us feedback. And oh really? I don't. Yeah. How was I? Yeah. Uh, uh, something that I don't think either of you know is that. So I, you know, I kind of manage the the email inbox and anything that, that comes in. Yeah, you know that. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't do it. Somebody's doing it here. Yeah, but I, I share everything with Chris, and and you know, if anything's directed directly at Chris, you know, then it's his answer that comes back. But anyway, um, when Phil's came in. The, the unique thing about all, just about all of Phil's messages is they're not written. They're, they're an audio message coming back to us, which, mm-hmm. you know, is, is awesome. I love it. But yeah. the first time I'm thinking, what the heck is this? Like, is this some <laughs> kind of malware coming our way? Like, do, should I really open this? And then anyway. Credit card. Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Only your last four numbers in your pin code, please. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So, so anyway, um, since then, you know, we've we've had you know a lot of correspondence uh, between uh, Phil and us, and and it's been awesome. Yeah. Uh, so a little while ago, we asked Phil if he'd be interested in coming onto the podcast because, well, you know, you're extremely passionate about the hobby, and and uh, we thank you for agreeing to join us. This is uh, this is awesome. We've both been looking forward to this, and uh, you know, we're excited to have the conversation. Yeah. 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 And we know like you're busy with. Uh, family commitments and busy household and all that stuff so yeah it's really cool really cool yeah no glad we could have a find a time that we could all do it and you know have a quick chat and it'd be good good. yeah Yeah. excellent so phil you you recently got back into astronomy and um you've been using a, a celestron first scope that you've done a whole bunch of work into and uh, you know, you've transformed it into the SuperMod 76. Um, you sent us a lot of photos. It looks incredible. Um, and, you know, you've sent us a lot of your, you know, observing through the SuperMod 76. And um, a little while ago, Chris and I recorded an episode about, um, you know, buying a telescope. And one of the ones we talked a little bit about was the Celestron first scope, largely based on your feedback. But neither one of us, I, I don't, I've never looked through one. I don't know if you have, Chris. No, I've never, I never have. But uh, I'm going to say, I'm going to say this before we go any further. I hope Phil doesn't mind if Shane tweets out um, that photo of your SuperMod 76, because it looks amazing. <laughs> so, so just, just imagine a little black tube with all kinds of, and I, I think they're 3D printed yellow <laughs> parts all over it. I mean, it, it really, it looks really yes. like, like a super mod telescope. When we say that, it's not a stretch of the imagination at all. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. done it. I done it as a, as a yeah, it, I thought it looked quite amusing, quite amusing. And when I saw your, um, Jane, your Borg, the mini Borg, the Frankenscope, I thought, yeah, I think they'd, they'd sit quite nicely together. It's kind of anom- <laughs> anomalies to astronomy astronomy anomalies i think yeah <laughs> yeah for sure for sure so i you know one of the things that intrigues me about the celestron first scope is that um you know it's extremely affordable it's extremely portable and then yeah. based on what i've read a little bit on the internet but more so again from you phil is uh it's extremely capable so you know i guess what have you done 
or what are your, I don't know where we should start with this, but um, you know, I'm, I'm curious about, you know, your, your experiences with it, your thoughts about it, you know, how well it performs, but also, you know, what you've done to improve the performance. Cause you've done a few, you know, fairly um, basic tweaks, I think that have mm. really enhanced the performance. So love to hear yeah. a little bit more about that actually. Okay. Um, well, where should we start? Um, start with the beginning, I guess. So I was, as, a, as, you, as you, you guys said, I come back into astronomy. And initially I was just looking, you know, naked eye visual astronomy. And I wanted something usable. Now, this man once said to me, the best scope that you can buy is the one that you can use the most. So I sat there and I, I thought long and hard about it. And obviously, you know, everyone sort of generally speaking says, when you're into the you know the, the the group side of things go for an eight inch six inch eight inch ten inch something big because it will last you a long time and that's wonderful and that's great but in my case i wanted something smaller because i want to be able to quite literally once you guys see the picture of it and that's with you know i can even turn it right down so it's you know the the size of a, a small cake tin you know, and about a foot high, and that's it when it's all compressed down. Um, so as stock, as it comes out of the the box, and the other thing, I, I guess the other thing, listening back to some of you guys' conversations about having to go and get the scopes because they can't be shipped, this is a, a small box, sort of a foot by 12 inches by 12 inches, and quite literally, you know, be shipped anywhere. So anywhere around the world, you can pretty much get one if you want one. Um, a major draw on, on, you know, the scope is the price. Um, over here in the UK, they're about £49, so under £50. Um, as, it, as it comes with it, it comes with a couple of eyepieces. Um, and, you know, as, as standard, I guess it, it's usable. It's usable. It's a good... Um, it's it's a really good. I guess what I'm saying is, the good parts about it are the the, the tube itself is good. The mount, in my opinion, is brilliant. Uh, focus needs work. Um, mirrors need a bit of work. Um, so as it comes with it, it's kind of the perfect scope to as a family. You know, I I. My nine-year-old and my six-year-old both quite happily sit there and view Saturn, Jupiter, Mars, the Moon, you know, all the kind of low, lowish power things that you need to see. And they really enjoy it because it's so, because it's an Altaz mount, it's a Dobsonian. Um, it's really easy to for, for a child and, you know, a, a, you know, astronomer of any age, I guess, to, to really be able to use it with no prerequisite of knowing everything about an EQ mount you don't have to polar align it or anything like that so as it comes as a box it's, it's good it's definitely something that you can pull out the box with absolutely no knowledge of astronomy point it up at the moon and get some decent results but okay. me being me I wanted more <laughs> um, so there was a couple of things that faults well not faults I guess just inevitable things with a budget scope that I needed to do to be able to, you know, for it to fulfill what I want from it. And I mainly do window sill astronomy with this. So I will quite literally crack the window open. And I know everyone's going out there going, no, you know, the the the, the warmth of the outside and the the um the heat radiation coming out that I'm going to be seeing through is one thing. But um I also do a lot through the glass and I find with this, it's actually really good as well. Obviously we're not talking the same as a real dark sky, et cetera, et cetera. For what it is, it's really good. Um, so the things that I've done to mine, which, um, you know, really pulled it from a usable scope um, to something that's very usable and, you know, is my daily go-to scope. Me and my kids, you know, we all use it. Um, the first thing I had to address was the focuser. Now, the focuser in this um, as stock uh, had quite a lot of backplay. It was quite wobbly. And, you know, again, 
for someone who isn't engineering, doesn't have an engineering mind, would probably find it absolutely perfect. But for me, who does have an engineering mind, I kind of look, kind of look at it and think, mm, you know, it needs work. Um, so I trimmed that up completely. Well, I, I, what I will say is I completely nut and bolted the whole entire scope, um, including mirrors and everything. Uh, and basically rebuilt the whole thing as I wanted it. Um, as I said, focuser, um, I put shims in, um, I completely took it out, cleaned it, I flopped the inside of the uh, focuser tube, um, lithium greased it rather than the, the horrible thick sticky gloop that generally comes out of the factory with it on. Uh, and then kind of moved to the OTA. Now, the tube assembly itself, I completely uh, unbolted again. Um, I flopped the inside of it. Uh, and just the, just the flocking itself made quite a big difference to the contrast. So mm -hmm. I had a focuser that was, was, you know, kind of difficult to use and the contrast wasn't too good. So I sorted the focuser problem out and I sorted the contrast problem uh, uh, problem to a certain extent out uh, with flocking it and you got I, I'm pretty sure I sent you guys um, a photo of the moon before and after zoomed in um, and you could quite clearly see the difference you know in contrast between before and after uh, I guess the, I then went to um, the point where I was, I was sitting there thinking to myself I just want a little bit more I just want you know, I guess as, as you do, you go into it and you, you read all the forums, you read up on what everybody else does. But I haven't so far found anyone that has gone to this much effort on, on such a tiny, <laughs> such a tiny sort of toy grade um, telescope. Um, so I then went along the lines of, again, stripping it down and I uh, blackened all the edges of the primary and the secondary and I have to say, I don't. I know that a lot of people don't actually go to the effort, but anyone out there with, you know, a first scope or a 10-inch, you know, Dobsonian, a Skywatch or whatever, I would highly recommend you, um, number one, flock the tube, and number two, you blacken the edges, the grinding edges of the mirrors, because the difference in stray light is absolutely night and day. It, it makes such a huge, huge difference. You know, th those are great points, Phil. Like, you know, one of the things that separates like higher end telescopes from say some budget telescopes is just the attention to detail. And some of that attention to detail is yeah. something you can overcome, you know, with the, with the mods that you described here. In fact, you know, Chris has talked a lot about his ST80 and, um, you know, one of the things like I've never blackened the edge of a lens or a mirror or anything before in my life, but with Chris's ST80, one of the things that was recommended, you know, when you're adjusting the lens cell is to blacken the edge of the, the main objective. So I, I don't think yeah. I tweeted this, maybe I should, but I, um, I, I took a photograph and I sent it to Chris of, of half the lens cell with the edge blackened versus, you know, the other half that's still kind of in its natural state. And I was just blown away by like the difference in just like the visual identification of the edge of the lens, because, mm -hmm. you know, where it was blackened, it was like, okay, that's now invisible. And the, yeah. the side that wasn't blackened, you know, was extremely reflective. And um, yeah, you know, those, all of those incremental improvements really add up to changing how that, you know, any telescope can perform. So you know, what you've done, um, you know, is, is very, very awesome. I, I flocked a, a big Newtonian way back in, I don't even remember, but it was a 12 inch light bridge. And um, yeah, you know, even, oh, wow. even then I was like quite surprised at just, you know, again, attention to detail, flocking it, blackening some of the tube rings really, uh, really enhanced the performance. So um you know, what, what you did is, is, is pretty cool. And it's, it's interesting to hear and even see, right. Like that moon photo that you talked about, just like, it really does make a difference. Mm. Yeah. And I guess the other thing is anybody listening to this, it, it is not hard, thing, not hard thing to do. It's not expensive and it's not hard. It just takes time, you know, 
um, I'd done mine quite literally with a black Sharpie. And I, okay, I went over it multiple, multiple times. But, but again, as, as you said, you know, the difference between this, the, it, is, it really is, I guess, the attention to detail between a, a scope that is quite expensive and a scope that is more uh, budget friendly. You know, a lot of them use the same um, tubes. A lot of them use the same mirrors. It's just, okay, focuses, yes. Like, like, like you know, focuses, there's a, a world of difference <laughs> between focuses. Um, but a lot of it is just time and effort. And it's nothing, you know, anybody listening with a screwdriver and a, a Sharpie can't realistically do if they take care and, care and attention, really. Yeah, it makes such a massive difference to your observing ability. Yeah, absolutely. And that's exactly what I used too on Chris's ST80 was a Sharpie. It was nothing fancy and it did a great job. Um, <clears throat> excuse yeah. me, I've even read on cloudy nights, like some people that are very, um, you know, obsessive about trying to squeeze, you know, every last bit of performance out of their gear. I, I don't really advocate for this because I think you can do a lot more wrong than good with this, but some people will take apart their eyepieces and blacken all of the edges of those lenses. Now, one of the reasons why I don't advocate wow. for that, if, if anybody's ever taken an eyepiece apart, there's multiple elements with spacers and they all have to be, you know, properly aligned, but like, you know, there's tops and bottoms to those lenses. And sometimes it's hard to tell which is the top and which is the bottom. And if you put it back together incorrectly, you've probably just ruined your eyepiece. So, so it's not something I'm willing to try, but I know some people go to that length too, to try to, again, squeeze every last bit of performance out of their gear. But um, that's, that's kind of what I generally I try and do really, you know, I've got, as, as we said, it's, it's, it's a, it's a cheap scope. It's a cheap Dobsonian that I've just basically tried to do all the little tricks and tricks that, you know, the, the generations of people beyond me, for me, sorry, um, have done to, you know, try and squeeze that little bit of performance out. And, you know, I'm now at the point where I've, you know, I've done, done, I've done a lot of 3D printing as well with it. Um, and it, everything that I've done to it, just, you know, it might look like I've tried to do it because it's, you know, just aesthetically pleasing. But generally, I have done everything that I've done for it for a reason, which is, I guess, why it's quite strange looking. <laughs> it's not, you know, a run of the mill um little first scope um but you know everything i've done has really generally made a, a massive you know improvement in performance and my usability i guess of such a, a tiny little scope um i put the as a first scope um, being a first scope um it doesn't have a viewfinder a viewfinder doesn't have um a finder scope um, well, we got the finder scope, which was fine, but I generally thought that it wasn't really, um, well, I can say good enough. It is good enough. I just wanted a bit more. Um, so I printed off a, um, a dual mount. Um, it's actually meant for a four and a quarter inch, um, Skyhawk, I believe the, the gentleman designed it for and I tweaked it, moved it, compressed it, um, just basically tweaked the design. So I've got a um, laser, green laser pointer, one of the big ones, the 18650 cell ones, um, and a, what is it? It's a Bressa um, 7 by 30 finder scope on it now. And again, you know, the, the, the usability of it is just great. You know, especially with the kids. I mean, anyone that doesn't have a laser pointer on their scope, they've got kids. I think, you know, you kind of may be doing yourself a bit of injustice because to, to look up in the sky and say, look, can you see that? And, you know, my six and nine-year-old, you know, you're looking up at a field of stars, you think, what, one, you know? <laughs> so, you know, the ability to just point it on, click it on, and then just raise the scope up to wherever you, you're looking at. They can physically see it in the sky as well. Because what I've found with my kids is it's all very well looking at something like Saturn through a telescope, 
and the first time they saw Saturn through this a super mod, um, it just blew their blew their socks away. It was just life changing moment. Again, you know, for me as well, the first time you see Saturn, it's very uh, visually wow wowing <laughs> moment, isn't it? Um, but to be able to see it in the sky with your eyes as well as through a scope, I think is quite important. And the laser finder, the laser, the red, the red dot, um, the green laser um, that I've put on, I find a really, really good help for that. Because if one of my kids is looking through the eyepiece, the other one can be looking at where the laser's pointed so they have a good indication of where it is in the sky as well. So, yeah. So just I kind of want to, to... to jump in and, and just kind of building on 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 that um some of your other accessories i was kind of interested in hearing about phil like you're using i think that set of 10 4 and 23 millimeter a spherics which i think yours are the sv uh bony set but me and other other manufacturers have their labels on them as well and i wondered if you could talk a little bit about um that little set of eyepieces because from all reports, they're really good and they're very inexpensive. And uh, anyway, just just really curious about that set. I, I actually was going to buy a set at some point in time, so I was really curious to hear uh, your feedback on them. Okay, um, yeah, I've got the the um, the aspheric um, set of eyepieces. It's a twenty-two, a ten, and a four millimeter. Okay, so um, it's, yeah. quite it's quite a, it's quite a a big ranging um set of really but you know for something like this um you know i I guess you know your mileage your mileage may vary but what i will say is the difference between a standard plotter and some of these spheric eyepieces very very good quality um okay the the field of view is really really good the eye relief is also really really good Oh, um, and to be fair, you know, I, I, I'm I come from the the budget side of this. You know, I'm not sure. You know, my my most expensive eyepiece is a TMB, um, mm-hmm. which incidentally is brilliant. Um, but looking at these aspheric to try and keep it on on subject, looking at these aspheric eyepieces, um, the build quality seems to be pretty good. Um, the twenty two millimeter is for me still. Um, it's got a good wide field of view. You know, I can quite happily star hop with this 22. Um, the 10 millimeter actually is what I generally use for taking photos. Oh. I use my eye to take photos. Um, so the 10 millimeter is really, really good for that. You know, down to the eye relief. So you don't have to quite literally have your, your phone or your camera or whatever really, really close to the eyepiece. So is it good, enough... Yeah. Is it enough to wear glasses or anything like that, or is it, or is it just comfortable to use without glasses? Uh, well, I don't wear glasses myself, but I, okay. I imagine, to be honest, that if you did, um, you, you'd still be quite happy. You know, okay. you'd, you'd be quite happy to, to, to. It's not a case of you know, some um, uh, water on your eyeball and pressing your eyeball onto the glass. It's, it's you know, a lot of the plotters are like that, as you know. Yeah. I have some. Um, and most of, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Most of my plots are like that as well. Um, but these are spheric eyepieces. Um, you know, the eye relief is pretty good. I, I can't, you know, as you say, all, all mileage does vary, you know, mm. depends what you're used to. But in comparison to what I have, um, apart from the TMB, um, they are most definitely got the, the, the longest eye relief out of anything else. On. And, and again, you know, the... The um, picture quality, the the image that you're getting through these eyepieces, is pretty good. is is really pretty good, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I would say the four millimeter is the one that most people seem to have issue with. Mm-hmm. Um, now the four millimeter, I, I guess also you have to remember that the focal length on this um, supermod is three hundred millimeters. It's an f three point nine. So, so when I'm talking, F1. yeah, yeah. So when I'm talking four millimeter eyepiece, um, I'm looking at um, 75 times magnification. Mm-hmm. Whereas obviously if you've got a 1200 millimeter, you know, light bucket, 
that's it, it, you know it's not it, it's not going to be the same you're going to have a far far higher magnification yeah um, and it sounds so, like you it sounds like you replace that four millimeter with the the tmb pretty much and i'll tell you i really mm. like those tmbi pieces i had a couple of the the originals back when thomas back was uh was the one that, that designed them he was still alive um i subsequently sold it to shane who subsequently sold it then i kind of wish i hadn't sold it in the end that that's one of the few pieces of gear i ever sold um and they're nice because they have a really long yeah. eye relief and a pretty wide field of view but you, I think you said in one of yeah. the emails that you bought yours at an Astro boot sale. Is that correct? Uh, well, yeah, I, um, I bought the TMB. Um, my, well, no, my original scope that I bought when I was a, a kid, I actually bought off a car boot sale. I guess a car okay. boot sale um, is kind of like um, a garage sale, okay. but more, you know, generally more like a, a, a second market, I guess. Okay. Um, really, um, but no. The, the the TMB I bought, um, I just won on an auction. Okay. For a really, 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 really cheap price, um, and I was absolutely thrilled with it. I, you know, so it it really does, as you say, the field of view is great. The eye relief is great. Um, it is a little bit darker. What I that that I will say in comparison mm-hmm. to the um, spheric uh, four millimeter. Okay. The TMB is is slightly darker. Um, however, I I think you know when I when I do a side by side, I can generally say that the TMB definitely wins over the the aspheric one hands down. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But for as I said, you know, I have quite a few different four millimeter eyepieces. I've got a Ramson, a Super Ramson, a Plossel. Um, the aspheric and the TMB all in four millimeter because mm-hmm. you know, generally speaking you don't go below you know four millimeter widely speaking most people never go below four millimeter so the market sort of bottoms out almost at four millimeter yeah. unless you go to really specialized stuff yeah. so we, I we've got some of those around of four here millimeter. <laughs> Yeah, we, yeah. <laughs> we've, we've got a few interesting ones. I got, in fact, I have one of those contact eyepieces you mentioned of the uh, Pentax 3.8 XP, um, which you actually have to kind of stick on your eye. Uh, anyway, it's a bit gross. You don't want to share that one yeah. around too much, yeah. especially these days. Um, hey, I was going to ask. Yeah, I was just I think, saying, not the moment. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think in one of your voicemails, you mentioned um, that you've got a uh, 130 millimeter scope uh, coming to you. Is that uh, nice? a hundred? Yeah, one one four. Okay, yeah, 114. I've got the um, yeah, I've got the um, um be under the Christmas tree. Um, okay, the Skyhawk, the parabolic version, not the spherical mirror version. Okay, um, so yes, yeah, a five hundred millimeter focal length. Again, it's it's just a little bit above f four, I think. If I'm right, maybe f five. Um. But yeah, I'm very excited. Very excited about that. Um, so yeah, I will. I will have a full report on it. I'm sure. Um, <laughs> come January, um, once I've got a bit of use out of it. So, I think you know. Again, for me, I I, I come at this at the uh, with the opinion that there's a lot of people out there that don't think they can afford and they don't think they can house a great big telescope. And I'm just one of those people who agrees, you know, I, I don't disagree that a light bucket is, you know, superior in many ways. But I do, however, have to say that something smaller is sometimes you'll get more enjoyment out of it because you'll actually be able to use it more. You know, the amount of times that I've used this little tabletop dob, mm-hmm. um, in comparison to if I had a 12-inch Dobsonian, would I actually have stood there and gone, hmm, you know what, I've got 10 minutes. Can I go out, put it out? Well, not really, because it's going to take an hour to cool down. Mm-hmm. Um, it just makes it more usable. And all the people in flats and apartments that don't think that they can take up astronomy because they don't have the room and you know they can't go out and store it somewhere, I'm just here to say that there is an option. And yes, it does take a bit of work to, to get it to how you want it to get it. 
Um, but it's definitely underrated. The little scopes are, are definitely underrated. Yeah, you know, I so. I totally agree. And uh, you know, I I've been tweaking this little telescope for my nephew, the the eighty millimeter f five, which I got for. 30 Canadian dollars, um, but I'm putting it on oh, wow. and putting, I'm, I'm, I'm giving him this scope with a set of $200 eyepieces. So he's going to get really <laughs> high end eyepieces and this, you know, oh, wow. uh, inexpensive telescope, but I was able to kind of work at a deal as, as part of uh, some of the equipment I was, I was buying, but yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's, and it's fun as well, you know, but those skills of working on the telescopes really, they really come in handy because I'll tell you, you know, when you're working on a $30 telescope and that's, this is an identical telescope to the one that I started working on back when I first got into astronomy seriously uh, uh, several decades ago and you take it apart and you take the lenses out, like Shane was saying, you blacken the edges and you do all that and understanding the mechanics of it really um, gives you the confidence that like for, for me, when my brand new Takahashi came and I'm like, well, I got to like, I tweak every telescope I get. So I'm going to take this apart, you know, and you're there and you're taking apart a telescope that costs more than $30. And, yeah. and it, you know, you, you have that little bead of sweat, maybe a little more, but, uh, but it does really <laughs> give you that, that background and experience to actually, uh, actually do that. And then as well, like, I mean, honestly, like my wife was out looking through this and I'm like, there really isn't that much difference between um, basically the most inexpensive, but good quality, like Skywatcher 80 millimeter F5 refractor, which I think is, is a great telescope for anybody. I think everybody should own one almost regardless, mm. like these little 80 millimeter class instruments. Like you have the 76 first scope, which I think sort of in the same category as this. And they are just awesome yeah. because you can just use them. So the other night it was marginal conditions, grabbed it, took it out. And I'm doing some observing because it weighs like two pounds. The mount weighs just a little bit more. Um, so there's almost no excuse. You feel like observing, you can take it out. It's, it's almost as easy to use as binoculars, really. Yeah, I mean, I kind of, many people have asked me this, you know, what, what is good at? And I guess that, you know, like the 80 millimeter refractor, that the ST80 really, you know, the, or the generic ST80, it's a really good wide field instrument, but you can also, you know, it, it really is the ultimate jack of all trades. I guess you could say, yeah, not master of none, but in the same sense as what you're saying, I can quite literally take this this little reflector and put it in a backpack. And if I if I was so inclined, hike up to the middle of nowhere and just sit on the ground and, and view, you know? It's so small, so light. It really is a very good, I guess, probably the refractor more than the reflector, because you know, if you drop it or Collimate it again, but it is it is a a lot of things can be said about small telescopes. I guess there's always you know the, the adage of every situation has a tool that you know is directed at that. So while this would be good at you know viewing the moon, particularly, and I'm I'm a I'm a massive advocate for viewing the moon, as you know. Um, so you know as, as a as a kind of tool for the job. Um, that can be used at quite literally a moment's notice. You know, it, it, it really is. Some of the smaller scopes, I think, are quite underappreciated, generally speaking, in, in the wider community because they're not seen as um, kind of real telescopes, I guess. And I guess, you know, a certain amount of people probably think that about the ST80 as well, where the reality of that is everyone I've spoken to that actually has one, um, has rated them very highly it's i guess the people that haven't used one that generally speaking they they're no good you need to get something bigger but you know there's you know, you started, oh sorry phil you you started no. this off by saying um uh you know the the best scope is the one you use the most and that you know that is a bit of a mm -hmm. common saying in astronomy but i think it's one that a lot of people myself included uh, kind of ignored for a while, you know, and I was into the larger Newtonians and, and, you know, make no mistake, those are fantastic telescopes, but yeah. my 12 inch light bridge maybe got used twice a year uh, because it was such a beast, <clears throat> excuse me, to haul around, set up, take apart, put away. 
Whereas my little refractor that sits by the back door um, is just so much easier to use that it, you know, became kind of my best telescope because I used it so often. And, and now that just kind of rings through with my general observing, um, you know, the smaller telescopes because of their ease uh, get used more. And, you know, as you use some of these smaller optics, um, you know, depending what you're looking at, there's not a lot of separation between a, a small telescope and a large telescope, particularly if you're in um, in urban setting. I, I find that small telescopes are very capable. And even, you know, if you are under dark skies, they certainly have their place. Um, you know, and one of the things you mentioned is the moon, which I think any small telescope really excels uh, on the moon. But I'm kind of curious, Phil, like, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm not having a good voice day today, but um, just the, the views through the Supermod 76, um, yeah. you know, like, are you able to see the Cassini division in, in Saturn's rings? Um, not sure if you, I think you've looked at Jupiter, you know, just what, what's some of the detail yeah. that you've seen there and, and, you know, the moon, you know, I'm curious about that too. Okay. Um, well, as as it comes out of the box, I'll start with as it comes out of the box because I don't want to um, kind of give a false impression of what this scope is capable. So, out of the box, um, any well, what I will say is, I I clearly got a relatively good one. Now, if you if anybody listening does decide to go down the first scope route, what I will say is this. It, you really do need to collimate it because although I could see a relatively clear picture out of the box, the second that I collimated it, but now the primary you can't collimate easily. You do need to do a bit of around. Secondary is fully adjustable. It's a single spider arm on this as well. Um, now out of the box with the, uh, you know, generic, um, I think it comes with a 20 millimeter and a six millimeter, I think, um, out of the box. Um, there are various different um, models of this as well. I, I will say that there is actually a Comatron, which is a white one. Now, the white one actually already has a finder scope as well, and it has different eyepieces. So you know, do look, if you are in, in, interested in this subject, do look at all the options. Um, as out of the box with the box standard eyepieces, um, yes, you will see Saturn. Um, you will not really be able to distinguish the sphere from the rings. It will be kind of an, an amalgamated blob. Um, again, with Jupiter, you will definitely see the disc. You will definitely see um, the four major moons. Um, but apart from that, you won't really be able to um, distinguish very much detail. Um, now, I know I said this a little while ago in one of my messages. Um, one of the first things that I think anybody should get, they're looking at this kind of thing with, I, don't, I guess, a refractor as well as a reflector is kind of generic, is um, something that I got a, a long time ago, very cheap but it's a variable polarizing filter. Now with the standard um, first scope and a variable polarizing filter, you will be able to um, see uh, certain amount, some surface detail on Jupiter. You will see some lines and banding. You won't see any color or any distinction or you won't see the red spot, um, but you definitely will start to see some banding. And the other thing that I'll say about that is eyepieces really do make a massive difference. I couldn't take the photos or do the observations, the sketching and everything that I've done with the standard eyepieces easily. It does take time to, um, you know, get the skills to actually use such a, a, a low focal length eyepiece. Many people just go into it and say, no, can't do it. It's, it's too close to my eye, it's too magnified, I'm struggling like this. Um, but generally what I would say is give it, give it longer, give it some more time. Because, you know, with, with this, with the TMB 
um, eyepiece, or even with the aspheric eyepieces, I'll say that, even with the four millimeter aspheric eyepiece, you can see um, quite clearly a distinction between the sphere and the rings on Jupiter. Um, you can start to see some, some more surface detail as well. Um, Jupiter, you can definitely see, you can definitely see the, um, um, the banding on Jupiter. Um, I do I do struggle to um, pick out the coloration more than anything, um, but with a TMB that that is a massive help as well. Um, so yeah, as as stock, you will see Saturn. You might not be wowed by it because it will be very small in the eyepiece, um, in the in the image. Sorry, um, but you know it it really does. You still. Can do collimate it. That's E with this, I think, really. Do we do we lose Phil, Chris? I think I no. yeah. Oh, oh still there? I think it I think it just um, cut out there for a second. Oh okay. <laughs> yep, yeah, sorry. My my connection went low there for a second. That's okay. That's no, okay. No. Yeah, that's fine. Um, All in real time. I think we are getting towards the the end anyway. Maybe that's the uh, the great powers that be letting us know. <laughs> yeah, perhaps. <laughs> were, were you able to get any views of Mars this current opposition, Phil? Definitely distinguish it as a disc, a, a large disc. In the end, um, after you know using various different filters. Um, you, I was definitely one, there was one night, I think I actually messaged you guys about this. There was one specific night I was running the four millimeter eyepiece <laughs> through a Barlow. So it was effectively a two millimeter eyepiece. Um, and I had, a, it was one of those nights that you could, I guess what you guys were talking about before, that you can just throw as much power as you've got on something and it would just it would just cut through the atmosphere and you know it is once one of those just lucky nights i guess um and yeah i had one of those nights um running a four millimeter through a 2x barlow and yeah i saw the um the coloration differences i can't remember what they're called on mars and i saw the polar cap as well um so it, it is all possible it is all possible with this um, you've just got to work. You've just got to work a bit harder than you would if you bought, you know, a, a, an eight-inch or a ten-inch dob. It, you can still see a lot more than you'd think you can, but it does take time to to get used to it. And I guess you know, another one of those things is like anything, like any hobby. The more you, the more time you put in behind the eyepiece, the more you begin to develop an eye to actually see more if that makes mm. any sense oh yeah oh, absolutely yeah, yeah. yeah i i think one of the parts of astronomy that is often and, and in most cases always overlooked is like there is a there's a thing that i believe quite strongly in and that's you have to learn how to see through a telescope and and that's like a real weird thing yeah. for me to say and it's a hard thing for me to explain but it 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 really amounts to the more time you put in at the eyepiece and, and the more time you spend trying to observe different objects, the more detail you begin to see. Your eye becomes accustomed uh, to pulling in the finer detail and you, you do get to see more. Like you learn to see better the more time you spend observing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I just realized I didn't talk about the moon at all with the, the standard um, first go. Yeah. Um, I would, I would completely and utterly agree with that. Um, with the first, if you, if you're someone who just wants to look at the moon, um, I don't just look at the moon, but I have a love for the moon. Um, you can definitely, definitely pick out the major spots on the moon with a bog standard out the box first scope. Now you'd be able to see, um, you'd be able to see all the Mare, obviously, um, Tico, all the major large. Um, craters, and you also be able to see um, the ejector as well. 
you'll be able to see you know what looks like the rays coming out from it where the where the, the impact happened um I again, think you saw I, Warner's X too, didn't you? One night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, yeah I've, that's awesome. I've got, yeah, I saw the uh, Werner X and the Luna V as well. Mm. Um, got to do a sketch of that actually. Yeah, I, I remember. But, yeah. I think I, I think I saw your sketch of the uh, of Werner, and uh, that was really impressive. I mean, that's a really awesome sketch. Oh, thank you very much. I'm not. <laughs> And did I hear you say that's going to actually be published on another website somewhere? Yeah, I think um, I can't remember. It's uh, one of the guys from um, Alpo. I, I don't okay. think it was actually that one. I think it was actually um, which one was it? It was because um, you've done quite a few. Bal- of them, Balaud- Balaudius, yeah. Okay. Baladi- yeah. Balaudius, Baladi- I'm not sure quite how you say that. Um, that was a sketch actually at the eyepiece, and that was a very. I know you you mainly do sketching at the eyepiece, don't you? Um, no, I, I, I do a study. The way that I do it is, is I will do uh, a series of sketches. So I'll take maybe um, three to six sketches and then I'll, I'll bring a few of them together and make sort of a final good sketch. So uh, my sketching is pretty rough. Yeah. So if you've seen it and you're wondering if I'm doing it at the eyepiece, um, some of them I do. I think some of them that have gone out are, are from the eyepiece, but it, it's a bit of a mix, I guess, as well. Yeah. Okay. What, what I would say um, about the sketching thing, uh, I, I started sketching because you guys were talking about it on a podcast. Mm. And what I will say is it's amazing, you know, when, when you're actually looking at something just to view it, and when you're looking at something to pick detail out, to draw it, you very quickly start to, you know, your, your eye starts to take in a lot more information. And now when I look at the moon or I look at anything, I'm looking far more in-depth detail. Even if I'm not sketching, I've just by sketching, it actually trains you to observe all the details properly without just glancing over something, thinking, oh, well, that's, you know, that's Copernicus, you know, that's uh, Marco Polo, that's the, the Monte Pennines, you know, that's Archimedes. You know, when you actually start sketching, I'd say, to anybody that hasn't tried it really it massively um improves your viewing skills by taking the time to actually study something small as a crater on the moon you really do you know it really is a skill builder so yeah for sure and you can do that with a with a you know at the box first scope all you need is a pencil and some paper and a rubber and you know, start learning how to, how to observe, I guess. Yeah. Very cool. Hey, I got, I got a question. Um, do you, do you, you say you don't travel, like we were talking a little bit prior, prior to this, uh, I think for five or six minutes and uh, you mentioned not traveling around as much, um, but do you ever, have you ever gone to any of the dark sky sites uh, in the UK? And I know there's, there's a couple of pretty good star parties over there as well. I've seen like videos on, online with some other observers didn't know if you've been to any of that uh those kind of events or those locations no i mean to be obviously the trouble at the moment is you know i don't know if obviously with podcast um time traveling um this is in the time of winter yeah 2020 so um you know with covid19 you know running its rounds shall we say um it's been a bit bit tricky for that kind of thing i do hope to um go to a couple of star parties in the future or even host something here because i know that here's where i am now is is pretty is obviously not i I guess it's not dark 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 um but it is certainly a lot but anyone coming from a, a relatively urban environment coming here would be you know it's kind of like opening up opening up the sky for them and a field of stars everywhere you look so no i haven't in answer to your question no i haven't it definitely is something on my list of things to do mm-hmm. um but with the with the, the current situation it makes it difficult to people to get together at the moment but i guess but another thing i would definitely even no matter what scope i'm using at the time um i will always be taking uh, the supermod with me as well just to yeah. show people what, what it what it's capable of doing you know, yeah. for such a cheap price. Anyone that's in a flat or, 
you know, anyone in an urban environment with a flat or an apartment or, you know, high rise, you can still do astronomy. It doesn't have to be all about, you know, the, the really deep sky stuff. You know, if you can see the moon from your window, then you can use one of these and blow your mind. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. You know, you know, I think, I think that might be the perfect statement to maybe wrap up this podcast I think so. is, is that, you know, the, the, the hobby of astronomy is, is very accessible, not just from a mm. financial and equipment standpoint, but even from the objects in the sky, you, you really can do astronomy from anywhere, uh, even in a light polluted urban center, as you stated, Phil, the moon yeah. will blow your mind. And even with a, uh, you know, a, a, a telescope with, without a lot of aperture, like a Supermod 76 is a, a small telescope, but it will still blow your mind on the moon. And, uh, yeah. you know, as you stated too, there's, there's a lot of detail you can see on the planets um, mm. with that telescope and all of that you can do from a, a light polluted urban center and, and really enjoy it. So, um, you know, Phil, I really want to thank you, um, for taking some time out to join us. I know you're a very busy man. You know, you have a, a young family, you're a business owner. Um, so we really appreciate that, that you carved out some time to come talk with us. Uh, I really enjoyed hearing about yeah. uh, 76 and, you know, you shared cool. a lot. Yeah, you you shared a lot over email and 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 that's awesome. But it's so much nicer to be able to have this conversation yeah. and uh, you know just hear oh, about yes. all of this uh, stuff you've done and and your journey through making this seventy six an incredible instrument. So uh, yeah, just really thank you very much for uh, for this time. Um, well, do you have any? Thank you guys very much for all the, all the information and all the, the podcasts that you do. I guess the reason mainly that I like to give feedback on podcasts is. Being a host on a podcast might, you know, seem like a, a very solitary um, pastime. You know, you're speaking to people, but you're not hearing people's opinions back. Mm-hmm. And I would, I would just, you know, say to any of the listeners out there that that don't make a habit of not contacting podcasts. Just come and say hi. Just say, yeah. just, you know, say, you know, what what you're doing, and give a bit of feedback because. You know, it, it, it's it's a, it's something for free that you're giving out to the community, and you're giving out great information, interesting information, and, and you know, a, a great podcast. And you're not doing it for a financial gain. Um, so, for anybody that is listening, just you know, say hi and you know, be part of the conversation. I guess is what I'm saying. Well, yeah, thanks so much, yeah. Phil. No problem. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Yep. Thank you guys. And, uh, I think that's a wrap. Thank you everyone for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you would like to ask us questions or leave feedback, you can find us on Twitter. We are at actual astronomy, or you can email us. We are actual astronomy at gmail.com. And if you would like to support the podcast with a donation, uh, we are selling merchandise at teespring.com slash stores slash actual astronomy. We wish you all clear and dark skies. <laughs>